Welcome to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. To get free mentoring services, as well as to see the wide variety of resources available for small businesses, visit our website at www.score.org or call 1-800-634-0245. And now, here's your host, Dennis Zink. Episode 4, Alternative Financing. Our guest today is Fred Dunnier. Fred got his accounting degree back in the days of 14-column ledger paper, but spent his career designing and implementing computerized small business financial systems. In October 2008, Fred became the principal of Interface Financial Group, a company which provides accounts receivable financing to small and medium-sized businesses. Through IFG, Fred has developed contacts throughout the alternative financing industry and provides cash flow consulting services. Fred has been a SCORE mentor for three years and is currently serving as team leader for the administrative services team and the chapter's technology coordinator. Fred is also normally our co-host and audio engineer and has been there, done that, but today he wears his interviewee hat. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. We are also joined today by Steve Lovinger. Steve is a SCORE mentor, CPA, serial entrepreneur, and co-producer of Been There, Done That. Steve also has experience as a client receiving leasing and factoring services. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Fred, our topic today is alternative financing. Interesting topic. What is alternative financing? Could you explain that, please? It's an interesting question just to answer that because alternative to what? (laughs) I mean, traditional financing is where you have uh, bank loans, traditional bank loans, loans against real estate, that sort of thing. But a lot of people don't realize that other assets that they have are also um, usable for financing. The textbook definitions of alternative financing, well, actually, I'll start with asset-based lending is a term you might hear, is where the lender provides funds secured by the borrower's assets. Collateral could include accounts receivable, inventory, machinery, patents, trademarks, or other assets where value can be determined. Alternative financing, which is a little bit different from lending, is where the finance company actually purchases the collateral while continuing to provide the use of these assets to the clients. Okay, great. Why would a company uh, seek alternative financing? Well, there's all kinds of reasons that companies need funds. The obvious is for, for working capital. could be to buy equipment funding for an acquisition, merger, or a leveraged buyout, perhaps debt consolidation, turnaround financing, hopefully not bankruptcy, uh, reorganization financing, buying inventory. There can be financing needed for import-export trade or just plain growth. What kinds of alternative financing is actually available? Well, there's a a number of different resources. The, The ones I want to talk about today are basically four categories. There's equipment leasing, purchase order financing, inventory financing, and factoring. What's involved in equipment leasing? All right, basically, equipment leasing is like uh, automobile leasing. It's, it's very similar in concept. There are a few differences. In, in general, uh, equipment leasing is where the lessor, that is the person doing the financing, purchases the equipment needed by the client. For the duration of the term or even beyond, the equipment remains the property of the lesser until the borrowed funds plus interest have been repaid. 
Businesses will typically need to have uh, established credit and have been in business a couple of years before a company will actually do that. Some firms will purchase equipment that's already in place, and the terms are typically up to six years. You would want to consider leasing when the client requires a lot of expensive equipment but wishes to avoid tying up large sums of money on the down payments required by purchasing. They might also consider it when they need to have their equipment changed frequently and want to avoid having capital tied up in obsolete equipment, and they have the cash flow, which can readily cover the monthly payments but don't have the money to lay out for the purchase of equipment. What types of companies provide lease financing, and how would I find one? Uh, there's a couple of different ways to find the companies. One is you can go to the Internet and just look up equipment leasing. There's actually a uh, equipment leasing association that has a directory, and you can look for equipment leasing companies. Obviously, if you can find a company that's in your area, it, it can be beneficial because then you can sit down face-to-face and chat with them. Uh, your bank also might do equipment leasing. After all, you know banks look for hard assets, and the equipment is a hard asset. And a third option is the manufacturer themselves. A lot of the times that, that if they're selling expensive equipment, they see leasing the equipment as another source of, of income to themselves. Is it true that certain lenders specialize in certain industries when it comes to leasing? Yeah, particularly in transportation industries and manufacturing industries. If you're a member of a trade association or can get involved with the trade association for your industry, Either in their publications or their websites, there could obviously be be links to uh, equipment leasing companies. What happens typically when the lease is up? What are the options? Well, that that's interesting because there's a lot of different options. There's a lot of things to consider with equipment leasing. For one thing, you can have the purchase option where you can you can buy the equipment from the leasing company. It can be something like you know they write into the lease it's a dollar, or it could be fair market value that you purchase it for at that point. Or it can be anywhere from 10 to 50% of the original value of the equipment. That's all negotiable with the company. But when you negotiate, you want to consider some possible uh, issues. Number one is that you might have financing issues in terms of the early buyout. If you want to buy out early, you'll typically have to pay a penalty because they based their risk exposure based on the, the duration of the term. You also need to remember if you're going to do equipment leasing, that you can't use your leased asset as collateral for a future loan. It's already tied up. Interest rates can be pretty high on equipment leasing. Again, and, and sometimes difficult to calculate because it's built into the cost. And businesses don't have quite the credit protection in terms of disclosures that, that consumers do. From my experience, they used to call it a lease factor. They wouldn't tell you the percentage interest rate. You had to kind of back into it and figure it out. Yeah, you really have to you really have to to consider that. Also, you need to consider that one missed payment can re- trigger a repossession. And of course, if this is essential equipment to your business, which why else would you be leasing it? You know, that could put you out of business. As I mentioned, the leases are do tend to be long term. It can be hard to get out of. You need to be prepared for a, a thorough examination of your credit history, a requirement that you pledge additional collateral to secure the equipment and a requirement for copies of your personal tax returns. The, and the reason is, is pretty understandable for everything from all those requirements to high rates is because the lender is, or person who's buying that equipment and, and leasing it back to you is taking a pretty significant risk. There's the obsolescence issues. You know, you can buy a piece of equipment and, and lease it to somebody, 
and technological changes can happen where that equipment is almost valueless during the term of the lease to where the lessee can get rid of the equipment, buy new, more efficient equipment, and still save money. Uh, there's also the, the equipment can be damaged. There's usually some maintenance provisions that are written in there that have to be dealt with. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons for the complexity of, of equipment leasing. What if the equipment's stolen and or it disappears and do you typically have insurance? Are you forced to get insurance on that equipment? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's Again, it's, it's similar to a, a car, a vehicle. I've heard the term sale leaseback. What does that mean exactly? Well, what happens in that situation is if you've already got equipment in place, you need to raise capital, you can actually sell your equipment to the leasing company, and then the leasing company leases it back to you. So unlike a, unlike a car lease where it's always a new car and you're, you're making payments to the leasing company, it would be as if you, have, you sell your own car to a leasing company and they lease it back to you for a, for a period of time. That sounds like fun. <laughs> good, good luck trying that. You know, give it a shot. What is inventory financing? Okay, inventory financing is where businesses have large amounts of capital tied up in warehouses or behind the counter. The, the typical classical example is uh, automobile dealers or uh, appliance dealers. There's no way your local auto dealer can afford to keep 200 brand new vehicles on his lot. You might think he does, but he doesn't. What he has is he has the, the inventory, and it's, it's basically financed by the auto company. That's floor planning, they call it. That's right. Now, there, there is other kinds of inventory financing where, you know, if you just have a traditional amount of a warehouse and, and you want to get a company to, to help you with the rotation of that inventory and keep the value at a certain point, they'll do that. But that's not very common anymore. It's hard to find inventory financing. I, I've had a couple of clients recently that were asking about it. And I was not able to find any sources of that kind of inventory financing. So usually right now, what I'm seeing is, is large companies, like I said, auto dealers, things with the companies with large, uh, expensive inventories that are working with their own uh, manufacturers to, to provide that kind of financing. Is one of the drawbacks the ease of reselling the inventory? Is that why it's difficult to find inventory financing? Again, you've got a situation where a generalized finance company might find themselves with a whole lot of inventory of something they don't know how to sell. That, that's the biggest thing is, you know, if, if you're a finance company and you're going to be dealing with some particular industry's products, you probably have to, to value it at scrap value because you're not going to have the time or the energy or the expertise to go out there and market it the way that the original company would have marketed it. And if you got it, it's probably the original company didn't market it very well. So if my inventory was gold bullion, I might could get d decent financing terms? I think that's, that's probably your best bet for getting uh, inventory financing from a third party. There are some ways of getting approved. Um, I'll just go through a quick list here. Number one is to demonstrate to the lenders that there's proper inventory management system in place that will provide accurate and timely information onto the size of the inventory and the cost. You have to ensure that the inventory is protected from damage and shrinkage by either the elements or from people. Uh, you have to make sure that the assets are maintained in good shape and the lender may require inspection from time to time. You need to be able to demonstrate to the lenders that the inventory is actually selling by showing sales orders. 
and you have to show that the inventory is managed as efficiently as possible by keeping the bare minimum on hand while maximizing the turnover rate. So again, it, it, you have to demonstrate good business practices. And again, that's, that's in situations where you can actually get inventory financing. And, and as I've mentioned, that seems to be kind of challenging right now. If it's something you need, go out on the internet, go look up inventory financing. There you will see companies that are advertising whether you can get them to match your particular situation or not, and if they can do it cost-effectively is the question. I had some experience with uh, traditional financing where they gave me a working capital loan and they would look at receivables and inventory very differently. Uh, For instance, they may lend 70% of your receivables and maybe only 30% of inventory. Is that because of the reasons you mentioned? Exactly. If, if you don't know how to market a particular asset and you have to, and you might find yourself owning that asset, how are you going to value it? You're going to value it very low and then hope to do, to do better, but originally price it at what you would have to scrap it for. Let's talk about factoring. What is factoring? Factoring is an unfortunate word because nobody knows what the hell that means unless they're in the business. There, there's a couple of basically it's accounts receivable financing. People don't realize it, but when you sell on terms, that is, you sell business to business and you ship goods and you send a bill along with it that's maybe going to be paid in 30 days, that piece of paper that represents the amount owed is actually valued. That paper is worth the number that's printed on it. That is an asset to the company which can be sold. Factoring is basically a third-party company coming in and purchasing that invoice, giving a certain amount of cash to the company that, that did the selling, and then collecting from the company that did the buying. An easy way to look at it is if you take credit card transactions, if you're a merchant that takes credit cards, you're doing factoring. Because what's happening is when you uh, sell something to somebody with a credit card, uh, you're going to get the money in your bank account like the next day. The credit card company gets paid by the consumer 15, 30, 45 days out, and the credit card company is going to charge you 2.5%, 3% for the process and the financing. So that's actually factoring. But in the business-to-business sense, it's, it's third-party companies buying those invoices. And there, there are a couple of different versions of factoring. There's traditional or standard factoring. In, in that situation, we'll call the company a factor. That's the, the term for it. They actually will buy or loan against the receivable, and they'll assume the risk of credit loss. They undertake collections, and they manage the bookkeeping functions. They basically become your accounts receivable department. That can be either recourse or non-recourse. Recourse means that if the company goes bankrupt, the, the finance company can go back to the client. Non-recourse means they're stuck with a credit loss. Florida is a non-recourse state, which means that uh, factoring companies do get stuck if the client's customer goes bankrupt, and that does result in some higher rates down here in Florida. The, The other kind of factoring is spot factoring, and that's just the purchase of individual invoices. Uh, it, it doesn't require a long-term relationship. The spot factor doesn't manage the receivables. They don't set credit limits. They just buy an invoice and provide the cash up front and then collect on the backside from the customer. As a business, if I had someone uh, calling my accounts to collect receivables, I'd be concerned about how heavy-handed they, they were with those clients. 
because I still want them as clients. That is that is one of the issues with with full factoring with, with traditional standard factoring. The factors want a long term relationship. They will get involved in making those collection calls. That's one of the reasons people sometimes turn to spot factoring. The difference is with full factoring, you can get a higher percentage of your accounts receivable portfolio because they're doing collections. With spot factoring, where they're only buying individual invoices, you usually have to have more invoices available because the factoring company will turn a bad invoice back to their client and have the client replace it with another invoice. So uh, if you don't want the factoring company involved in your client relationship, then traditional factoring could be problematic. Of course, you know, everything's negotiable too. The factoring company's not going to go first beating down the doors of your customer. They're going to come to you and, and, and involve you in the call and, and try to work it out in a way that's, that's beneficial to everybody. But if push does come to shove, the finance company is looking at their own money out there, and they're going to do what they need to do to get their money back. If I did a factoring agreement, do my customers know the receivables are factored, or is there a way to not alert them to that fact? Usually it requires full disclosure. And the reason is that the companies have to make the check out to the factoring company. If they make it out to the client and the client cashes the check, it becomes very problematic. Although it is fraud um, for them to do that, it can be problematic. There are arrangements that I've seen where they do lock boxes and that sort of thing, but typically it's full disclosure. If a company's in trouble and they're don't you think they might be less likely to pay the bill of someone they don't know versus the company that they've been dealing with for years? If they're having trouble, they might say, well, I'm the, it's this factor now. I don't have to pay them or use that as an excuse. Well, typically there'll be a, an agreement in advance. And that's, again, part of the reason for the full disclosure is that the, the uh, customer will sign a document that says that the product or services were received in good order and that they will, in fact, pay the factor. And then if they don't do it, then they're liable to be sued. But that's part of the reason that, that factors make more money than banks is because there is additional risk for all sorts of psychological and, and other reasons that, that, uh, uh, that the financing company might not get paid. Let's take a, a client who doesn't have accounts receivable, but you know maybe, a new, maybe even a new customer, I mean a new business, but they have an order that can't be filled because they don't have the funds. Uh, is there a way to finance that? Yeah, I think what you're looking at is, is purchase order financing. And the challenge there is that the companies are, are pretty restrictive and it's pretty expensive. I also want to differentiate between contract financing and purchase order financing. Let's say you as a, a company gets a contract that you can't fill, not because you can't get the supplies, but you don't have the money to buy the supplies. A contract in and of itself can be canceled. So a company's not going to want to provide you with funds and then have the contract get canceled and, and who knows where the money went. But when you actually have a purchase order from that customer, that then is, again, a document with value because it, it should not be cancelable. So the company then will provide those goods and services for the price defined. A lot of purchase order finance companies have certain limits uh, and certain, a lot of restrictions because, again, they're depending on their client to perform to the contract, uh, a number of them won't deal with uh, work in process type stuff. Let's say part of your job, your, your job is to 
buy a bunch of parts, put them together, and then sell them to the client. A lot of financing companies, purchase order financing companies won't do that. They'll only purchase finished goods for resale. Again, because if they have a situation where they have to liquidate, they've got finished goods that they can sell. It's not a bunch of resistors in a box. I'd heard there are certain industries, like the rag fabric industry, that's predominantly financed by factoring. Is it true that certain industries banks don't lend too much and they go to factoring more? Yeah, in in New York and Chicago, and particularly the... um, the schmata business, as they call it up there, <laughs> the clothing business, is uh, is uh, does a lot of factoring. I'm not sure what the reason for that is. A lot of sweetheart deals that have been going on since the 1920s or something. But uh, but it, you know the thing is with factoring, we're, we're go back from purchase order financing for a minute, is that it's not something, and in fact it's true of purchase order financing as well. It's not something you want to use on a continuing basis. It, it's too expensive. When it's used judiciously to solve a particular problem, it makes a lot of sense. But as a standard way of financing your business, it's just a little bit pricey and a little bit complicated. Typically, what I do with my clients is I'll provide them with some sort of a whatever kind of a bump they need. They might need to get over a a particular payroll problem. Maybe they got surprised by a, a tax bill that they weren't anticipating. I had a situation where a company came into a situ- into a merger where they had the opportunity to buy another company that would have increased their profits. It was a vertical situation where they would have gotten both their vendors' profits as well as their own by providing a certain amount of capital to this other company. Doing things like that make a lot of sense because the, the amount that it costs you is basically irrelevant to the benefits that you would get by doing the transaction. So in those kinds of situations, these kinds of alternative financing programs work really well. But as, a, but as soon as you get past that hump, I will walk my client into a bank and say, okay, this guy, not only is this guy ready, but he's been a good client of mine. He always pays his bills. His clients, his customers are good. Uh, now give him, you know, his, his three or 4% loan because you know, what I'm charging him is just not good from a, a sustainable financial practice. I don't want him working for me. I want him working for himself. Is there a range of a percent of receivables that generally can be factored? Like, say, I have 100,000 receivables. Can I borrow 50%, 70%? It actually depends on the type of factoring we're talking about. In traditional factoring, you can get up to 80 or 90% of the receivables financed. By the way, I want to explain. People think that if I say 80%, that means the, the finance company gets the other 20%. It doesn't work like that. What happens is if they advance you 80%, they're holding on to the 20%. It's like an escrow. And when the, cl- when the customer pays, the factoring company then calculates the amount due, subtracts it from that remaining 20%, and sends a second check back to the client for the balance. So it, it's not just the initial transaction. There's a second check that comes back to the, to the client based on the amount of time that it took to collect the, the amount from the customer. As a follow-up to Steve's question, what kind of percentage does the uh, does the factoring company actually net out? It it really varies by the amount and the uh, and the time frame. Uh, a lot of companies charge something along the lines of one percent for every ten days. That's in the traditional world. 
in the spot factoring world where I'm where I typically operate, we charge on a per day rate. So we don't actually require the invoice to be factored on the day it's cut. If the client can sit on that invoice and age it themselves for so many days before they actually need the money, they only have to pay for the number of days from the day they get the money until it comes back in. So it could be five or six days, as little as that. And, then of course, then it's a much smaller amount. Are there other fees charged in addition to the interest rate? Traditional factors will typically charge for uh, an application processing fee, maybe a per-transaction fee. Uh, I'm not trying to sell my service, but we don't do that. We only charge out of the transaction. And where do you look for sources of alternative financing? How do I find them? Well, there are several different ways. Number one, you, you might go ahead and take a look. You know, Google is your friend. You have to be very careful there, though, because finance companies are pretty notorious for putting up teaser rates that are, that are unattainable. I'll give you a quick example with factoring. The rates you'll see for factoring are typically quoted against the face value of the invoice, not against the amount that's actually lent. So if you only need, let's say you've got a million dollar receivable out there and you only need $10,000, the rate's going to be incredibly low because you're not taking a whole lot of that invoice. Whereas if you're getting $900,000 out of that million dollar invoice, the rate's going to seem much higher. So you have to be careful and, and, you might pick them off the, the internet, but just don't pay any attention to any rates that are quoted in the, in the search engine. You have to get down to the details and talk about that. Uh, some banks provide alternative financing. They may or may not be competitive. A lot of them, it's under the bank's name, but it's actually a third-party company doing it because banks don't typically have the staff or the resources to do all the follow-up that's necessary for these kinds of transactions. Uh, there's also brokers. There's financing brokers, cash flow brokers out there. If you go that route, you want to make sure to talk to a couple of them because they all have their own structures. They all have different connections. And you probably want to find out some level of detail about their backgrounds and their connections before you, you choose one. Uh, what concerns should, um, should our listeners have when they're choosing a financing company? Uh, the main thing is... is uh, Obviously, everybody wants to know the rate, but you also want to check out the integrity of the company. If they've been doing it for a long time, if they can share some, some customer information with you. Typically, these companies are a little bit reluctant to share customer information because there's a perception that if a company is using these services, you know, why uh, are they in trouble, et cetera. Uh, obviously, most of our companies are, are using our services because they're trying to grow. We won't lend to companies that are or, or buy invoices from companies that are circling the drain to just prolong their agony and put ourselves at risk. But nevertheless, there are some, some perceived issues with using non-traditional financing that, that some people will pick on. Yeah, my experience has been that certain banks, leasing or factoring companies specialize by industry. A uh, good example is I think the reason the fabric industries dominate it by factoring is they understand how to liquidate the inventory and they have the infrastructures in place better than banks. Would you agree with that? That that makes a lot of sense. You know, that there's a lot of outlets for, for clothing and if these companies are prepared to, to liquidate it and they have that industry expertise, they can then offer more competitive rates and they can actually take burdens off the, the manufacturer's hands for overstocks and things like that. 
Well, thank you for enlightening us today about alternative financing. And I, one question, how would our listeners uh, contact you if they wanted to use your services? I appreciate that. My uh, company is called the Interface Financial Group. We're here in Sarasota. Uh, my number is 941-400-0977 or F. Dunier. I'll spell that out, F-D-U-N-A-Y-E-R at Interface, F-A-C-E, InterfaceFinancial.com. Is that only for Florida-based companies that you provide a service? My company actually has something like 150 offices in seven different countries. I can hook anybody up anywhere. You've been listening to Been There, Done That in our new studio. Well, thank you all for listening, and have a great day. You've been listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. The opinions of the hosts and guests are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of SCORE. If you would like to hear more podcasts, get a free mentor, view a transcript of this podcast, or would like more information about the services we provide, you can call SCORE at 800-634-0245 or visit our website at www.score.org. Again, that's 800-634-0245 or visit the website at www.score.org.